Hanukkah. 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 You're listening to Hanukkah Podcast, highlighting citizen Potawatomi Nation issues, members, and more. Paige Willett and Adesh Nakas, Borewadme Ndao. I'm your host, Paige Willett, CPN tribal member and employee. Don't forget to subscribe, share, and rate us. In honor of Veterans Day, on November 11th, we're dipping into the video archives of the CPN Cultural Heritage Center for recent interviews with veteran tribal members. They share their war stories, pride in their native heritage, and how their service has changed their lives. Charles Scott was enlisted in both the Army and the Navy throughout his service career in the 1980s. He traveled around the world as a member of both branches and ended his military years with a wide range of skills, including medical and construction. Uh, My Indian name is Winbisa. It doesn't translate exactly into English. It's a, uh, it's more of like a micro story, but it, it's, it means light rain, as in like a misty, foggy rain. I was born in Okmulgee, Oklahoma. I live in Pink, which is outside of Tecumseh. I came from the Peltiers and Views. I am officially retired. Uh, when I got out of the service, I did a little bit of maintenance work, worked with uh, an ambulance company as a paramedic. I, I was raised around the creeks in, in Okmulgee, but I was always knew I was Potawatomi. Uh, my family wasn't extremely traditional, but just as, as I grew, I, I became more Potawatomi, more in touch with myself. But I've always been comfortable being Indian. I never, I never thought of myself as anything else. Uh, for me, just being lighter skinned, uh, and being around a lot of darker skinned natives, uh, I was called half breed all the time, uh, or uh, an apple. I wore it more as a badge of honor, you know, because I knew I know where my people came from. It affected me in school quite a bit. Uh, you know, I bounced from school to school, but it was uh, it was tough. Lots of racism. And, I enlisted uh, while I was in high school. I think I graduated in May of 1984. Uh, I was 17, and I think I signed up right before I graduated. Shipped out to boot camp within just a few weeks of graduating. Went to Fort Benning, Georgia. I enlisted in the U.S. Army. Uh, Stayed in Georgia for maybe six months, something like that. Got assigned as part of the cadre that went to Panama. Uh, I helped teach land navigation to the special forces. I wasn't special forces at all, but I, that's where I worked at. That was my job. Then I came back, went to Fort Leonard Wood, and got out of the Army. When, when I got discharged from the Army, I think I was out for three months and enlisted in the Navy. It was uh, what happened in South America. It, it changed my life. Uh, I was working in Panama. Part of my extra duties was going to, into Honduras. I mean, coincidentally, the Oklahoma National Guard was going down. And uh, I met some guys from Oklahoma, but they were building a highway, and I was part of uh, a detachment that went down to provide security. 
and we got really close to El Salvador as that highway was going into El Salvador. And we came under attack a couple of times, but it wasn't anything bad. I mean, by today's standards, it wasn't bad, but it, it affected me. I knew I didn't want to be uh, shot at, and I didn't want to kill anybody. So I got out and joined the Navy, and I became a hospital corpsman, which is the complete opposite of what I was trained for as an infantryman. Looking back on my, my service, I don't, if I could have skipped my Army experiences, I don't think I would ever, I don't, I don't encourage anyone to go. Not in today's climate. It's a lonely, depressing, it can get lonely and depressing because you're never around family, and you, but the bonds that you build, you're always around buddies, and those buddies will always come and go, and it's a constant turnover. As a kid, I moved all the time. Uh, 21 schools before the sixth grade. So I didn't want that for my family. I wanted some stability. So that, that was the reason that I got out of the service. And I had two daughters at the time and then I was married. And I wanted them to be stable. So when I got out, it was just, there, there was a very smooth transition. I mean, I just wanted to get back to life and get a job and work and provide for them. I can take a life I, you know, and I can deliver babies. I can, uh, there's nothing I can't do. I mean, I, every, everything, I can't take no for an answer. You know, nothing is impossible. It's just, you just gotta work harder to get it. And if you can build a team around you, you can do anything. There, there's really no difference in, in someone from South America and someone from Oklahoma. Uh, when I was in the Navy, you know, I traveled all over the world you know, went all over the Middle East, Italy, Spain, uh, Germany, the Philippines, uh, Korea. They're, people are people. They're, there's not any difference. They all want the same thing. They're all fun and caring and forgiving and loving. And some of them can be mean and hateful, but they're, they're just people. And they're no different than us. I, I came from a, a family that was just crushed by poverty. Uh, food was always scarce. We never lived in one house ever for, for more than just a few months. Um, moving all the time. I joined the, the military originally, and this is a, a funny little story. I liked to hunt and fish, and I wanted some camouflage, and I was too poor to afford camouflage. And I thought, well, if I join the military, they'll give me a bunch of camouflage. <laughs> I joined with one of my best friends, my cousin, uh, Dennis Northcross, who's also a veteran. Uh, we served in, in Fort Benning together. Um, my, my army experience, I don't like to deal with a lot because it, it messed with me. Uh, being down in South America and seeing some of the stuff that went on down there. And then our federal government doesn't even know they don't even recognize that we were down there, you know, that anything even happened. It was just brushed over. And it turned me off to my government. Uh, when I joined the Navy, I was, I was proud to be a Navy veteran, and I am proud to be a Navy veteran, more so than an Army veteran. But I'm not always proud of the federal government. I did see all the world a couple of times. I think it was... Uh, 
that part was a great experience. But to this day, I'm just torn. I'm, I'm torn between the things that I've learned about being Potawatomi and what it means and being a American citizen. It's just something that I, I've struggled with a long time. Be true to yourself. Uh, look for spirituality instead of religion. Uh, try to be good people. You know, whatever, whatever that means to you, just be good. Don't lie and cheat and be dishonest. What I would like to pass on is, is we need to have more pride as a people. And it's important that they realize their Potawatomi and they, they need to accept that as a, at a younger age than what we are. They just need to have lots of pride. And I think the way that we get some of that pride is, is doing things like festivals and being around each other. In the 2010s, Army veteran Joseph Zentek was deployed twice to Afghanistan as a member of the 2nd Battalion, 506th Infantry Regiment, the same battalion memorialized in HBO's miniseries Band of Brothers for its actions in World War II. Currently, I'm here in Shawnee, Oklahoma, and that was a large part of the decision to move back to Oklahoma after my service was to take part in the community and further our traditional values. Uh, I descended from Whiteheads or, or Weld, great-grandpa Audie Pecor. Since I've matured and hit adulthood, I've been trying to find more traditionally where we come from and who we are. And I'm kind of proud. The more proud, the more I learn, the more proud I am of our ancestry. I enlisted in August of 2008. I had a pattern of life choices that weren't really good. I needed that structure to straighten up. Quite literally, I was on the way into work a little bit depressed that day, and I seen a guy broke down on the side of the road, so I stopped to help him, and he got out of his car, and he was in his dress uniform. He was a military recruiter, he was an army recruiter, and he was in his dress uniform looking real nice, and I told him, I said, hey man, you don't need to get dirty changing this tire. I mean, I expect you could do it, but... It's kind of what I did for a living at the time, you know, small jobs here and there. And so I, I changed his tire for him. And ultimately, I wound up joining the Army. Um, the most memorable event for me joining was getting off the bus at basic training. And that was a whole new world. That was culture shock, if there ever was one. Um, I was still in my civilian clothes. I had a backpack of minimal, minimal gear, you know, T-shirt, socks, and things. And I had it... They call it front-loaded, but basically I put the backpack on backwards so I'd have more room to sit in the seat and I wouldn't have it stowed away anywhere. It would be right here with me. And when, when the drill sergeants come on on the bus, they had that iconic brown and round hat, and they come in there screaming and cursing and get off the bus. And, and, and it, it, it was fast-paced, move now, go. And it just never slowed down. It was wonderful. I joined the Army. Uh, my MOS was 11 Bravo. Um, I was an infantryman. I, I went through basic training and then airborne school where I learned to jump out of airplanes. And then I served in an opposition forces unit after that for a while. Um, went on to have air assault, qualified air assault, airborne, sort of everything the regular G.I. Joe grunt would have done. I know I had spoke with my father about it and told him I planned on joining the Army. And he seemed real nervous and, and 
supportive, but he didn't really like the choice. I know a lot of people didn't really like the choice. I mean, we were at war, and I joined to do a war job, and so everybody's afraid I wouldn't come home alive. Uh, I deployed twice to Afghanistan, and both, both deployments were to what they call Regional Command East. Um, we were in the Hindu Kush Mountains, or Tora Bora, so to speak. It was another culture shock. Um, on the base, we had electricity and flowing water, but everywhere around us, the local villages, they did not. Um, we had, on average, it was 237 troops in contact during my first deployment, and we were only there 215 days. We had two different bases. Um, we had the company, the company headquarters was at Fob Boris, and it was a forward operating base, which is a little bit bigger. We had running water there, had showers, and an actual chow hall where they cooked food. Uh, where I spent most of my time was on the COP, uh, the combat outpost. It was a platoon-sized uh, base, and we, really only, we, we had bare minimum for, for people. We did not have running water. We only had electricity when the generators worked. Every couple of days, they'd get hit by a rocket or a mortar, and the shrapnel would just destroy it. So we'd have to go out and mechanically fix it again. That was the wilds, and it was rough. We were supposed to do 30-day rotations where we had three platoons at the company fob and one platoon at the cop. The area we were in had multiple reports of anti-aircraft machine guns. So helicopters didn't like to fly. And the two places were roughly 30 kilometers away from each other, so we couldn't really walk. And with the terrain being in the mountains, we couldn't really drive either. So there were days where I spent 90, closer to 120 days without running water or you know, shoddy electricity. Um, we got to a point at one time where resupply wouldn't come out. They wouldn't fly out and drop pallets off on the ground and fly away because it was dangerous and hostile. So for roughly 60 days, I had to live off of six regular-sized bottles of water. It was a struggle out on the cop. But occasionally, we'd get rotated back to the FOB where the company was. That was when I could talk to family. That was when I could communicate. We had internet and stuff like that. It was nice. At one point, I was on Skype face-chatting my wife and sitting in the computer room, talking with her back and forth. She had a father who was also military, but he served in a different function of military. He had like a nine-to-five job instead of being in real combat where I was at. And so she was stressed and frustrated that he could call home and be on video every day. And it was, it was a clockwork thing. Whereas I was, maybe I could call home and maybe I couldn't. I'm sitting there video chatting her, talking to her face-to-face -face on, on, online, and we had a rocket. It was... Uh, it was 107 millimeter rocket. They usually fire out of a uh, battery bank off the back end of a truck, but the Taliban bought them from the Chinese, and instead of having a truck and a battery bank, they would set them up on a tripod and use like a 9 volt battery to trigger them to go off, similar to a mortar system. Well, as I'm sitting there talking to my wife face to face in this video chat, one of these rockets comes in behind me and to my left and hit the roof and knocked a hole in the ceiling. And, you know, it knocked me on the ground, and I get up, and I told my wife, I said, hey, I got to go. And I clicked the button on the, on the keyboard to try and turn it off, and then I crawled out to our bunker where Safe Space was at. And so I get there, 
and there's another 20 or 30 of us all grouped up right in there and we're waiting on the rockets to stop coming in and eventually the rockets stopped hitting and so we all dispersed and went back to our collection points so we could all say hey we're all still alive nobody got hit and after that I went back to the computer lab to check and, and to call in to let them know I'm still okay and when I got back I realized I pushed the wrong button on the keyboard <laughs> so the whole time my wife and then now it would have been both of her sisters, her aunt, her mom, and her grandma were on the other end of this video chat asking, what's wrong? Are you okay? <laughs> and as I get back to the computer, I say, yeah, no, I'm fine. This is every day here. You know, we live this way. And they were, then they were in shock that, you know, that, that sort of, that sort of fighting is that prevalent every day. But that was our life from August 2010 to August 2011. It was, it was tough. But honestly, you know, I enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. I grew up a lot. Um, I matured a lot and very fast. Um, you know, when we're children, you sort of see the, the world through glass as if it's not really real. But military service just shatters that. And I actually think that that's a wonderful thing. The most eventful thing that happened to us was the Battle of Margot, where on October 30th, 2010, Apaches estimated between three and 500 Taliban attacked our combat outpost. We had a platoon-sized element there. Um, there was 29 Americans total of us on the cop, and we had to stand and defend our position at least three hours until actual re reinforcement showed up. And it was the fight of our lives. We spent 16 hours with active gunfighting. Fortunately, from that fight, we had six wounded that returned to duty within several weeks, and we had zero American KIAs. To this day, they still review it and go over the the footage and the battle to see what we did right whereas units before us in similar conditions had far more wounded and far more KIAs. Um, I got a renewed sense of value for my own ancestry and our own lineages. It's good to have veteran friends and, and brothers of service that have done the same taskings and been through the same hardships. I can't pick a single other person out of my high school graduating class that would understand coming back from that kind of combat into a regular civilian lifestyle. It, it is difficult, to say the least. It definitely taught me that I'm more resilient than I thought I was in the first place. Um, human beings in general are pretty strong. I mean, you know, naturally speaking, we're all capable of some incredible things. I mean, one of, one of the heroes growing up we would look up to would be like Jim Thorpe and, and, and other, you know, incredible athletes that you wouldn't ever really think are normal people, but normal people fill those roles. My time in service really showed me and opened up my mind that this is my biggest limit. And it's also my, my greatest weapon. Whatever I think I can do, I can do. I just have to be able to put the building blocks in place and take the steps to get there at the end. Life is a roller coaster. You get good days, you get bad days, you get everything in between. And 
no matter what happens, the world keeps turning, so don't quit. Michelle Jesse serves in the United States Public Health Service. While not considered military or enlisted, they do wear Navy uniforms and are considered active duty for their important assignments and research contributing to the well-being of the nation. I'm a registered nurse um, by profession, but I also have two master's degrees, um, one a master's in public health and one a master's in, of science and healthcare administration. Uh, but I'm a member of the public health service and stationed at the Wewoka Indian Health Center, and I am the administrative officer of the health clinic there. I've just always known that I was Native American. Uh, I was born in Muskogee, and I was having some health issues, um, and my parents um, brought me to Carl Albert, the Indian Hospital, to have me seen by specialists there, and that was the first time I remember just being a discussion about being Native and being able to go to the hospital there in Ada. I'm a member of the Delonis family, and the Delonis family is deeply tied to the Sacred Heart Church in Kanawha, and the mission grounds, which is the old historical church grounds, is on some land that I believe a, tri a Potawatomi tribal member donated to the Benedictine monks to minister to Potawatomi children, and my grandfather went to school there. So when I was growing up, um, my family's a member of the Sacred Heart Church, and my parents were part of the Sacred Heart Historical Society and partnered with the Potawatomi tribe to, uh, to preserve the grounds of the mission. So I remember from a young age, uh, weekends were spent brush hogging, weed eating, and preserving the grounds. Um, yeah, I remember when I was in high school, bartering for later... Uh, curfew with my dad and I was the way I got a later curfew curfew was I had to dedicate it three more hours a weekend to weed eating at the mission so um, it was always something that that I remember being part of when I was younger and I felt like it was part of my tribe and then also my church my husband's great aunt when my son was being baptized at the church my husband's great aunt mentioned that she had went to the school with my grandfather and she was telling stories about um, speaking native um, language and, and how the nuns would get on to you. Um, and so that, I felt like that had a lot to do with why the, the tribal language went away. And, and my grandfather never spoke of that. Even with my children, I've just always said, be proud of being native and being proud of, of where you come from and, and who you are. And don't ever make light of it. Um, being native has opened a lot of doors for me. Uh, personally, um, I, uh, I don't know that I would be in the career I'm in had it not been for Indian Health Service. Um, I found out about the Public Health Service at an orientation for the Indian Health Service Scholarship. Um, and it was my senior year of nursing school. And I was graduating, and I knew that receiving the scholarship, I would have to do a service obligation and pay back the time uh, somewhere, but I didn't know where. And so they had an orientation, and um, there was a, kind of a recruitment event. One of the men that was there uh, was from the Commission Corps and stood up and was giving um, a speech about why you should choose um, the Commission Corps. And you can work for Indian Health Service and be a government employee um, or a civil servant, or you can be a commission officer in the Public Health Service. And I remember him saying that 
the commission corps officers were the cream of the crop. If you wanted to be the best of the best and the, you know, the elite group of employees in Indian Health Service, then you should choose to be in the commission corps. And that you don't just sign up, you apply and you're appointed based on your education and experience and by the Surgeon General of the United States. And I just remember thinking, I want to do that. And so I feel like being Native opened the door for me to get the scholarship, which actually opened the door for my career, which has been, you know, really great for me and my family. Um, so I applied in January of 06, and it was a long process. Um, and I was appointed. Um, I got my appointment documents, and um, I started on May 1st of 06. So I converted from a civil servant at my job then to being a commission officer. Um, it was it was exciting. We had just bought a new house. My uh, children were in school, and so I spent a lot of time away from my family. And so when I got the job at Wewoka, they were really excited just to have me home and. Um, lots more time in the evenings with my family. But then when I found out I was appointed into the Commission Corps, and, and I remember I brought some paperwork home, and, and it was kind of a certificate, and it was like your appointment documents, and it you know, has the president's you know, name on it. And somebody was like, wow, this is kind of a big deal. <laughs> we are an unarmed branch, so we're um, a uniformed service. Um, you're appointed based on your education and experience. We have zero enlisted members, you're all appointed as an officer, and I was appointed into the nurse category as an 03 in May of 06, and I'm currently nurse director role, um, and I'm an 06. I've been stationed at Wewoka Indian Health Center for the entire career of my service, so I just knew that I was a nurse, and I was, at the time, I was working as a community health nurse and loved my job. And I didn't anticipate being an administrator, um, which I am now. And so that's a little different than what I imagined. I just thought I was gonna be a nurse at the Wewoke Indian Health Center and serve my 20 years and, and go home. Uh, now, looking back, um, it's so different. I've held many roles. Um, I was the community health nurse. I was the community health director. I was the administrative officer and then went to performance improvement officer role and did that for a few years. Then I was um, recruited to the Oklahoma City area to be the performance improvement consultant for the entire Oklahoma City area Indian Health Service. And that was um, a really, really fun job. I did that for five years. And then I was uh, pulled back in and um, put in the administrative officer job again. Um, so right now I'm in the acting CEO role. Being native in Indian Health Service is a really important thing to me um, because I feel like I can relate to my patients. Um, I, can, I can sympathize with where they're coming from sometimes. The majority of our staff are native. That is a really big thing. I feel like being native and being able to say, you know, I'm Potawatomi uh, helps when you're talking to someone else and they don't see just a figurehead that's, you know, an administrator that doesn't care about you. Um, it helps them understand that, that I'm, I'm one of them. If you want to serve your people, the Commission Corps and Indian Health Service is an excellent opportunity to do that. 
Chi miigwech to all CPN tribal members who have served or are currently serving in our armed forces. Your sacrifice and dedication will never be forgotten. Hanukkah Podcast is produced and brought to you by Citizen Potawatomi Nation's Public Information Department. Please click the subscribe button and leave us a rating. And share the show with your family and friends. You can find CPN on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search Potawatomi. Visit us on the web and find digital editions of the tribal newspaper at potawatomi.org. That's P-O-T-A-W-A-T-O-M-I dot org. Miigwech Nikanek, Mamamina. Thank you, friends. See you later.